welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, guys? This is Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 41 of the OCR Underground Show, your ultimate resource for training smarter and dominating your next OCR. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and making this a part of your training program. You'll be able to find the show notes for this episode at www.ocrunderground.com episode 41. Well, I just got back from Vermont a couple weeks ago, did the beast out there. Uh, I have to say that was definitely a, a challenging and brutal run, but really one of the most beautiful locations that I think I've done. Obviously, Hawaii is very tropical, but I think being from Southern California, we get to see that a lot. And uh, the East Coast just offers something different. And the leaves just starting to change. I bet if it was a couple weeks later, uh, just would have been amazing uh, overlooking the mountains there. But uh, a fun race. I, I keep getting the question asked if it's the hardest one I've done. Uh, it's always hard to compare because every race is so different. Um, and, you know, whenever you ask somebody, it's always whatever one they did last seems to be the hardest one. Uh, but I, I did put a post up and uh, I'll put in the links uh, for the show notes. I did wear a heart rate monitor for both the Hawaii Beast and uh, Killington. And I thought it was really interesting and it kind of reflected how I felt. But in Hawaii, I don't know if it was the humidity, the heat, um, dehydration, the travel, uh, what a, a combination of things. But during the Beast, I felt worse. I just did not feel great during that race uh, compared to the uh, Killington where, uh, yes, I was tired and the hills were, were tough and my, my legs were on fire, um, but just overall fatigue, I think, was more in Hawaii, which I thought was interesting. And my heart rate monitor kind of showed that, that I was hitting higher heart rates uh, much more. But that being said, Killington was longer, probably at least a mile and a half longer. Uh, the hill climbs were worse and the descents were pretty challenging um, and I don't think I've ever been that sore after a race ever uh, it took a couple days before I feel like my legs were normal again and I was I was walking but uh, it was such a fun race I got a, a couple great takeaways I wanted to share a couple quick ones with you uh, number one I did get to experience the the death march and one thing I want to note about this is don't let people get in your head and that might be yourself included. Now you hear horror stories of races and people tend to exaggerate, especially if they've been through it, where saying it's, you know, always making it sound, and I don't want to downplay anything that it's not hard. This was a very hard race, but you know, during the run, people talking that did it the day before were saying, oh, mile 10, we're going to get the, uh, uh, the march and it's two miles straight uphill. And as I'm listening, I'm like, I, I don't think it's two miles. Um, just knowing how the the mountains laid out that just didn't seem right but you know you start to hear things like that and you're like wow maybe this this is going to be pretty ridiculous uh and then we got to it and it was probably three quarters of a mile not that that's easy i did time it um it took us 40 minutes to walk up that hill and definitely a couple breaks in there um and i shouldn't say hill that mountain and uh so it, it was challenged but sometimes you hear people talking about something and they're almost going to psych you out so just just be careful with the advice that you take and um who who you're listening to don't don't let people psych you out the i've mentioned this on previous episodes because then you start to dwell on that and then your performance is going to suffer before you even get to that so if you're worried about one particular thing that's what you're going to think about you're going to it's going to drain your energy whether it's just mental energy um so if you have that one thing that 
you know, and I've before in the past, it's been my spear throw where all I'm thinking about the spear throw and just making sure I hit it and I stress about it. And then I notice I'm running way slower than I should because I'm just stressing about the wrong thing. And, you know, focus what's in front of you and then deal with a hill or a mountain or whatever obstacle might be in your way when you get to it. But try not to worry too much about it until then. So obviously prepare for it, but don't don't dwell on it too much. Uh, speaking of that hill climb, definitely seeing some people cramp up. Um, Obviously, this is a big part of racing, and it can really ruin a race. And I've talked about it before on podcasts and written blog posts, but I want to put a link to a blog post I did with some great video of why so many people cramp up on hill climb. And a lot of it is as that ankle mobility is just not good. And and you see people's feet turn out or they're always on the balls of their feet and pushing off their calves and they're pushing off their quads. Obviously they're working uh, always, but they're not able to use um, their their glutes and, and other leg muscles to help uh, take the stress off of the, the quads and calves. So uh, check out the show notes for that, that post I did on how to climb a mountain uh, and not cramp up. Uh, I really think it'll it'll help you out. And uh, also, so one thing I definitely noticed, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, my wife and I are traveling all over the country doing these races, and we get to see some just beautiful parts of the country that honestly we may have never seen before. Um, you know, going to Montana and Boise and all these cool places that I don't know if I would have ever gone there if it wasn't for the race. So it's it's just cool that you know using these races as an as an excuse to explore the country and and see see everything that's out there but i have to say i'm getting more and more frustrated with um, mustard packets and block wrappers and all this stuff everywhere so my little rant it's you know we're better than that and spartans better than that and all these ocrs we don't they don't want to see garbage all over the place and leaving a mark in in the earth like that so just if you're going to bring your mustard packets or whatever with you and you definitely should be preparing for anything in these races it's not that hard to throw it in your pocket and wait until you get to the next uh, water station to throw it out there are garbage cans at every water station they're more than happy to take it for you so um so just my little rant there um but make sure you're cleaning up after yourself when when you're uh, on these courses and, and out in the woods and on the hills and, and one last thing that I want to mention when talking about that uh, incline, but don't forget about that downhill running. Uh, that again can be a, a, just a, a killer on your race, and and that's actually probably why I'm the most sore. I think was running down some of those steep hills. But if that's not a, your part of your training program, definitely make sure you're doing something to prepare for some of these steep downhills. Yes, it's a lot of impact. I'm not saying you need a sprint downhill, um, but just having a plan to build up your muscles, build up your joints, your tendons, your ligaments, so they can they can prepare for some of those uh, steep declines. All right, so just some things I, that I took away. Hopefully that helps you guys out. Um, but let's get into this week's episode. As usual, I have an awesome show for you. Uh, up first, uh, speaking of, of Killington and Vermont, I have SGX coach John Haley on from Unbreakable Fitness, and he's going to give us the official uh, Vermont Ultra Beast recap. Again, I just after doing the Beast uh, in Hawaii and Killington, I have a whole new respect for you guys who are out there uh, pushing yourselves and doing that Ultra Beast. It's so awesome. So he's going to give us his insight and his recap on the race. Uh, in the research review with with Tahoe coming up, I know seeing online lots of posts on on. Um, last year and and some of the challenging things the weather the altitude the hills the distance uh so i do want to talk a little bit about altitude so i I have a a research review that's talking all about altitude its effects on the body on breathing on sleep 
um, and all these cool things that uh, at least to be, pay attention to as, as you're hitting some altitude that you know, to help you have your best, best race yet and make sure that you're, you're finishing. And then finally, in our coach's corner, I have on the godfather of Spartan SGX program, Dr. Jeff Godin. Uh, he's going to talk all about actually a post I saw him do uh, actually a year ago, but it came up in my Facebook news feed, and it was just a great reminder, and I wanted to get it out this week, talking all about uh, the elements and the cold and water and hypothermia and, and how you can properly prepare for a race, uh, focusing on those elements, not just climbing the hills, not just carrying heavy stuff and, and uh, hitting those obstacles. So just a different side of of your training program or at least your preparation program that you definitely want to consider all right so another awesome episode let's get right into it hi this is john haley sgx coach with a recap of the saturday vermont ultra beast in killington i'm going to quickly review three things number one I'm going to talk about the obstacles, I'm talking about mindset, and I'm going to talk about preparations in your training. As far as the obstacle goes, obviously the number one obstacle would be the mountain itself, especially a Midwesterner, very flat land here, um, training for those steep climbs and, and really steep um, descents as well is really, it's tough, but we got little hills around here and we just spent a lot of time on that. They're steep but short. You know, you got to get that work done. You got to work on it. Um, one of the problems was is that the, it did rain uh, Friday night. So some of those trails, actually all the trails, even in the beginning, um, they were wet. And you're not just running on, you know, ground there. There's roots sticking out and also a lot of exposed rocks, which were wet. And on the trail, you really couldn't avoid them. So really, my strength is the downhill running. I love going through those trails and going real fast. But it really dug into my time, made for a much longer day than I wanted to um, ultimately finish. So, you know, we'll, of course, we'll, we'll take it. Um, but it was quite slippery out there and a lot of people falling down all over the place. Um, but in the end, I was able to stay on my feet. So I was pretty happy about that. Um, the upper body obstacles seemed a little bit light. Some things of note, though, um, the rig towards the end of the first lap um, was relatively short and there was like a baseball on there. And I think if you're, if you're on a rig and you're grabbing a baseball or like one of those vertical pipes, you're absolutely doing it wrong. There's always enough room that you can go ahead and work around those things. I think those are there just to kind of mess with you. I see no reason to ever grab one of those. Um, the one obstacle I did have problems with um, was the Tarzan swing where you're swimming out under the bridge, grabbing from rope to rope and then ringing the bell. Um, especially towards the rope that was closest to the bell. Some of them were really far, like much higher than the handhold um, in which you were leading up into it. So you had to be a little bit taller in order to do that, but some of them were really even. So you had to make sure that you were choosing the right one. And even when you got on that last rope, um, the distance between the last rope and the bell seemed a little bit too far. In fact, I couldn't reach it. And that's an obstacle that I feel like I'm, pretty solid at, but I, that's two times, that's 60 burpees for me that I wish I could uh, get back, but maybe I'm just not as good at that obstacle as I, as I previously thought. But in any event, when you're swimming up to that stuff, just go ahead and take a look at it and choose the one that's most appropriate for you. Um, as far as um, mindset, there was, I think the race was broken down into one main factor, and that was um, the, the death march and then coming straight down 
and right up on the descent as your quads are just absolutely on fire. And I felt like mine were actually going to explode. You come, you make this turn, you look over and you see the bucket brigade, which was just effing long um, and wide. And I actually um, almost walked off the course at that point because I just, at that point mentally, I just felt like I was, I was done with the race. Um, ultimately convinced myself to, uh, to forge ahead and keep going. And once I made that connection where this race is really about um, two different, I'm sorry, one particular mind, um, you know, screwing with your mind is that death march followed by that steep climb down, um, followed by that bucket brigade I felt like one if I could just get through that the rest of the case, the rest of the course was actually pretty pretty light and it it ultimately was so you just had to mentally get around that stuff speaking of mindset one thing in particular I noticed was there was a stark contrast in the in the language of those who I was passing versus those who were passing me and I'm always hypersensitive to negative negative speak when I hear it it just it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Um, and everybody that was passing me, you know, those are going a little bit faster. You know, they're always, you know, very positive, you know, way to go, keep going, keep pushing, something along those lines. And I always reciprocate back to them, you know, good job, keep pushing. Um, and, but the people that I was passing, just a lot of negative talk. And it just kind of drove me nuts a little bit internally. And I, I got a little short with some people out there and kind of told them, you know, how to, how to shape up or else they weren't going to finish. But this is something that I develop in my training and something that I preach to myself and to my clients a lot of is just developing a mantra, something that you can say over and over to yourself. You're not just going to all of a sudden develop this on race day. This is something you have to practice all the time. And my mantra is actually very, very simple. It's just breathe. I just remind myself to keep breathing. And sometimes I'll even do something as simple as count to 10. I'll take 10 regular breaths followed by two very deep very slow breaths and just focusing on that um, just allows me to just keep going and i'm focused more on my breathing and my mindset more than i am about how much my legs hurt or something like that um, and i would say that that mindset that language was one of the main differences between those who i saw finish and those who i saw dnf and i can't stress that enough. Develop a mantra. Get get your mind right. Um, as far as my training goes, um, I would just really encourage people in their training to still um, think about being an athlete and develop total athleticism, all the components of fitness. I wouldn't get too wrapped up into being hyper-specific on obstacles and things like that. You need to go ahead and need to make sure that you are fit. You got a big cardio engine. And also things like my athleticism, like adding in the agility ladder and a lot of mobility work for my feet and ankles, I felt was critical in order to deal with those, um, with the hills, with the trails of coming down and seeing some very uneven terrain, very unstable ground. And I was able to come out to uh, out of it and all, the, all my clients that I trained that went there as well. All our ankles and knees and everything survived in, in really good fashion. I think that's a lot to do with our total athleticism that, that we encountered out there. I'm sorry, that we did in our training. So I was really happy with that. It was a great venue, beautiful day, and uh, I can't wait to go back. I can't believe I'm saying that, um, but uh, we'll see you next time, Killington. I'm coming back for you, buddy.
Thank you so much, Coach Haley, for an awesome recap. I think you summed it up perfectly. I agree with you 100% on, on everything there. Having a mantra is such an important thing, and it's it's easy to be negative, and it's especially, like I was saying in the intro, when, when other people are, are being negative or trying to psych you out, it's always having uh, some positivity, at least inside your head, is going to go a long way. And, and I agree with you. When I came down and looked up at that bucket carry, uh, I would have joined you if you told me let's walk off the course because uh, that was not what I wanted to see right there. But, you know, you just you grind through it. You, you throw the, the rocks in that bucket and just think every step I take is one step closer. I'm going to get through this even if it takes a while and, and you just power through. But I agree that was uh, not what I was hoping to see after that uh, huge descent down or ascent and then descent down down the mountain. And, and that Tarzan swing was tricky. That was the first time I've ever seen that one. Um, I'll, I'll rub it in a little bit. I did make it through, but that was a close one. Because it was so wet, uh, your hands were just sliding down like crazy, and then the weight of, of the water on you, and then the life jacket just seemed to be in your face the whole time. So that, that was a tough one, and, and like you said, just trying to train like an athlete so you're ready for anything so you can prep for those things. So thank you so much for the recap. Uh, but let's get into our research review, and as I mentioned, I want to talk a little bit about altitude. So a lot of these races that we're seeing are going to be at altitude, some at moderate altitude, other at, at very high altitude. And uh, regardless, uh, when we start getting to some of those higher altitude races, uh, we're going to see some effects on the body. So I found a nice uh, little research review from the Scientific World Journal in 2013, uh, the effects of high altitude on sleep and respiratory system and their adaptations. So I won't get into everything, but I'm going to put the link to this study. You can review the whole, um, the whole write-up and uh, really interesting things. If you like to geek out and look at physiology and how the body's going to adapt to different changes uh, due to at a, uh, uh, altitude, but I at least wanted to talk uh, uh, about a couple things. So um, obviously there's uh, less partial pressure of oxygen when you get to altitude. So it's it's not necessarily, there, or there's not less oxygen, it's just the pressure is not the same. So you're not getting that oxygen into the blood to the muscles as well, um, which causes problems when you're trying to, whether just walk around or do athletic performance. So one, one thing you're gonna notice is your VO2 max is gonna decrease significantly. And VO2 max, that's just the, uh, the maximum uh, amount of oxygen that your body will be able to consume during exercise. So obviously the higher your VO2 max, the more you'll be able to compete in, or the better you'll perform in endurance performance. So our training is trying to increase VO2 max. Uh, so we're going to see it decrease. So one way to combat this is one, make sure your training reflects things that will increase your VO2 max. That way, any amount it's going to decrease, at least you'll still be at a higher level because you've bumped up your VO2 maxes as best you could. Um, but we see at around 1600 meters, we're going to see a significant decrease in uh, VO2 max. And every thousand meters above that, you're going to see anywhere from 8 to 11% decrease. Um, and, and this is going to be much more fatigue at the same workload that you're doing at, at sea level or at, not at altitude. So, uh, so get that VO2 max high, as high as you can with, with your training. Um, Sustained exposure to high altitude actually leads to a decrease in uh, muscle fiber density and mitochondrial density. So muscle fiber, so that's gonna be a big thing, will actually start to lose muscle and atrophy the more uh, at altitude you are exposed to. Um, and then uh, mitochondrial, so that's our, basically uh, our, the powerhouse of the cell, so that's where aerobic metabolism is gonna occur. So we actually want high volumes of mitochondria to perform better at endurance. So again, try and increase uh, your endurance training to boost your mitochondria volume, your mitochondrial density. So anything that uh, seems to go away with altitude, it, at least the effects on your performance won't be the same there. Uh, another interesting thing you're going to see is actually uh, 
uh, it ca- altitude is going to cause the diaphragm and abdominal muscle contract, uh, contractors to fatigue, uh, which obviously is going to limit performance. So we need those muscles to help us breathe. And while altitude masks won't give us the adaptation that most people think they will in terms it's not like training at altitude one reason i do recommend some type of resisted breathing like a mask or or other device is it actually will strengthen those muscles so anytime we do inspiratory muscle training it'll get you better at breathing which uh, will help us prep for uh, being at altitude and i think that's probably the where i would start with most people if you aren't sure what to do and you're going to have a race at altitude you better have your breath work down right? so doing just simple diaphragmatic breathing drills and then maybe progressing to some type of resisted breathing whether it's breathing through a straw or a mask or, or something like that but we can train those muscles just like any other muscle so we want to improve the endurance so at least our breathing won't be our or breathing muscles won't be our limiting factor to performance i think that's a, a big one and kind of a, off a similar note one thing we might see is actually increased water loss due to hyperventilation. So every time you exhale, um, water is gonna be coming out, right? So it's kind of you go to a mirror or a window and you you blow and kind of create that fog, right? That's water. So um, the more we breathe, the more water we're gonna let out. So it might be small amounts, but the, the more you can control your breathing, breathing, and the less you hyperventilate, the more you can hopefully retain that water. But Obviously, if we're going to altitude, make sure hydration is definitely a part of your, your preparation for, for that race. Um, other things you're going to see, reduction in motor skills, cognitive performance, mood changes, so all things that are going to affect uh, performance. And then uh, sleep is going to be a big one, and I want to spend a second in talking about that because obviously there are a ton of links between uh, sleep deprivation and um, performance, and the better sleep we can get, the more we're going to perform. But Kind of the catch-22 is when you are at altitude, especially when you first get to altitude until you've adapted, uh, you are going to see probably some reduction in sleep efficiency. So there's actually reduced oxygen content in the blood, right, from being at altitude, which is going to lead to breathing instability. So we actually have kind of some deep breaths and then some rapid breathing. Uh, it's because like it, it's sleep apnea. And this is actually going to lead to frequent awakening. So you may not notice it necessarily. You might feel like, well, I got to bed at a, a good time and then I, I woke up and I got my eight hours, but it may not be high quality sleep. And that's exactly what we're, we're going for here. So uh, one thing you can do, if possible, sleep at low altitude. So um, sleep at low altitude, get a good night's sleep, and then go to high altitude for the race. Or just do things to, that are going to ensure your best night's sleep. Make sure you're in a dark room. It's quiet. Um, you're not drinking alcohol, hopefully, before before a race. Uh, maybe using something to help you out, like melatonin or ZMA or something like that, that if that tends to help you sleep. Uh, but just set yourself up so you have the potential for the best night's sleep because we know being at altitude will affect your sleep. So every precaution you can take is going to help you out there. Um, so like I said, this this research goes into a lot of, of different things, but I at least wanted to touch on some, some effects that we know are going to happen at altitude and maybe some simple things that you can do to help prevent um, prevent a, a major reduction in performance. So um, it, it's going to take weeks to uh, uh, to completely adapt to being at altitude. So unless you have the luxury to be up there for a while, you're most likely not going to be able to do something like this. So one, uh, one thing you can try and do is, like I said, you sleep at low altitude, you get up right for the race. Uh, altitude sickness, it, it will set in the first 24 to 48 hours 
typically. So you might be able to beat that if you can get the race done right away and not have to worry about altitude sickness um, affecting your performance. It may get you afterwards, but way better to be sick after the race than, than during the race. Uh, but just some takeaways. Obviously, one, make sure you're hydrating. Uh, number two, do your breathing exercises, whether it's resisted or just diaphragmatic breathing, anything to make sure you're training those breathing muscles. Uh, sleep, get do everything you need to do to get a good quality sleep, whether it's sleeping at low altitude or just having some things uh, assist you. And then, like I just mentioned, run quickly, get uh, get there and go and not wait maybe a couple days up there. So I know not all of these may be practical, but hopefully there's one or two things in there you can do to help uh, maximize your performance and um, have the least decrease from the effects of altitude. All right, guys. Well, it's time for the Coach's Corner for the OCR Underground Show. And I'm always excited for my guests, but I'm particularly excited for my guests. One, I, I because he's a, a fellow UConn alumni. And, uh, you know, anytime I talk to somebody from UConn, I know they have to be one of the smartest people in the room. <laughs> but uh, I have on Dr. Jeff Godin. Uh, he's currently Associate Professor uh, of Exercise and Sports Science Department at Fitchburg State, also head uh, strength and conditioning coach. He's competed in numerous endurance and ultra endurance events from marathons, Ironmans to ultra marathons. Uh, and then Dr. J is actually the creator of the Spartan SGX program, which I know for me personally, but plus a lot of my colleagues has been just a uh, an incredible resource uh, for us to learn more and really help our clients train better and smarter for for Spartan races. Um, so, Dr. J, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks for the great intro. I, very nice. Uh, anytime. And uh, so, I always have to ask, uh, how did you like UConn? <laughs> I loved it. It was four years. It's where I earned my doctorate. So it was four years of suffering, which um, <laughs> if you know anything about me, you know that's something I like to do. But uh, it was a great university. I had some great faculty and great mentors there. So, yeah, I loved it. Definitely. Have you been back in a while? I haven't been there in about uh, 10 years. I went to a conference there uh, about 10 years ago. And, I mean, it's changed dramatically since i've been there but uh yeah it's pretty cool to see yeah. all the new buildings and you know how, how it's advanced yeah i was just there um uh, two weeks ago for a, a memorial run and it, it it had been a couple years since i'd been there as well and it's even in the five years since i've been there uh it was incredible all the changes that they made so it's pretty cool but uh, let's get into uh, some things I want to talk about today. So one, I, I, I want to start with the SGX program, and this is kind of just for my own uh, curiosity, I guess, but what brought this about? What, what made you start this program? Yeah, you know, I happened to be the right person at the right place at the right time. I met Joe DeSena through the death race. And so this was before he even had Spartan up and running. And so I had, had met him through the, through the death race. And, um, you know, I attempted it numerous times, never finished it. Uh, so I do hope they bring it back. So I, I still an unfinished business, but, um, so I met him through through that event, and then uh, when he started up the Spartan races, it was he was getting emails and phone calls from coaches uh, across the country, across the globe. They wanted to be able to use the brand to, uh, you know, help get people 
ready for the races. And so DeSena loves the idea, right? He's, I mean, anytime you talk to him, he talks about ripping people off of the couch. Mm -hmm. And so he loved the idea. He just, but he was, wasn't certain about the coaches, you know, these coaches claim to be the best of the best. And he didn't know about the credentials. He didn't know if they were Spartan. And so we were talking about it uh, one day and I threw out the idea. I said, why don't you have a certification? Someone says they're the best of the best, let them prove it. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so he loved it. And he said, you know, take the ball and run with it. So, uh, so I brought in my uh, wife, Tammy, uh, and then, you know, Joe DiStefano, of course, he's mm-hmm. a, he was a former student of mine at Fitchburg state. And so I knew he would be perfect for it. So, uh, you know, all three of us, we masterminded, uh, uh, at the time we called it Spartan coaching. And at the first version of it was, it was more of an audition. It wasn't as educational. Mm-hmm. And we had we actually had 30 people that attended and nobody passed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we decided to switch it up a little bit. We wanted to, to be able to rip 75 million people off of the couch and we knew in order to do that we're going to need an army of coaches and that's where we came up with spartan sgx that's awesome and and so i'm glad i came in a uh so this is 2014 it started is that correct uh is it was 2012 2012 okay so i came in a couple years later so i'm glad i waited <laughs> so i didn't have to <laughs> yeah. be one, one of the, the first, first the first version it was more it was more like a a, a fitness coach version of the death race (laughs) (laughs) sounds amazing it was great (laughs) that's awesome so i know there's so many topics i'd love to to talk to you about and pick your brain but you uh actually i I shouldn't say recently uh about a year ago you made a post about um talking about breckenridge and tahoe and with tahoe coming up this weekend i thought this was incredibly relevant and you were mentioning you know people are talking about the the relentless hills and and water and the heavy carries and the challenging obstacles Uh, but one thing we have to talk about is hypothermia and that's it's something that yeah some people might be aware hey if you're going to be in tahoe you're going to have to swim or it's it's going to be cold or potentially could be cold Um, but this isn't something that necessarily everybody is prepping for but that could be the end of your race if you're not careful so i thought this would be a great topic for us to get into so let's just start with so what is hypothermia if we if we have to define it yeah so so hypothermia is when your body temperature drops below uh, a critical temperature and basically what happens is uh, enzymes you know begin begin to not function as well uh, muscle won't function as well just through the contractile properties. I don't know if you've ever been cold, had cold hands and tried to do something that requires manual dexterity, like even tying your shoes, like all of a sudden your hands, they just don't work. Um, and then your body temperature can actually drop down to, to critical levels where it can become life threatening. So, uh, it can be pretty serious. So what, what might be some, um, maybe early signs that, you know, there's one thing being cold and, you know, still being okay, just a little bit uncomfortable, but is there anything that we might, um, be aware of that, Hey, if, if X starts to happen, this might be a serious thing where, you know, you can push through a lot of things and your body can take a lot, but hypothermia might not be one of them. Yeah. Once you're at the level where it's uncontrollable shivering, uh, that's a sure sign that you're becoming hypothermic. That's one of the beginning stages of it. Okay. So if if it's, you know, shivering's one thing, but where you're just uncontrollably just, you can't stop it. Yeah. So, I mean, your body's pretty, pretty good at, 
maintaining, uh, you know, regulating its body temperature. And so one of the first, the first reactions it'll do to, um, like this decrease in, in body temperature is that it'll start to divert blood flow away from the extremities back towards the core of the body. So like one of the first things that'll happen is your hands will start to get cold and your feet will start to get cold. It's because the body's trying to conserve heat. So it's preventing blood flow to the extremities where it might, some of the heat might seep out of the body, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. And then from there, if that's not doing it, if you're still losing too much heat and core temperature is dropping even further, the next step is, is that the body's going to start producing more heat through shivering. So the and muscles will just spasm, just contract, relax, contract, relax, just basically wasting energy to produce heat in order to keep the body, body warm. So if it reaches a point where that is literally, you know, you're shivering and you can't stop, you know, that's a sure sign that body temperature is getting pretty close to critical, critical levels. Okay. And, and since you're talking about shivering, I think, um, Another kind of what you just said, your, your body's trying to expend energy to warm itself up. And when we're racing, the idea is we're trying to conserve energy, you know, conserve glycogen stores and, and just make sure we can get to the end of the race and have enough uh, energy. But when we're shivering, we're essentially using up some of that energy. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but we can kind of shiver ourselves to exhaustion almost where it's not just the race that's beating us up, but our own shivering is uh, expending this energy. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you're if you're shivering, it, I mean, the least concern is the waste of energy at that point. Like I said, it's gonna it's gonna be life threatening pretty soon. If it like if it's that uncontrollable shivering, and uh, it's usually because they've person stopped. So if if you're in the race and you're running up a hill and you're shivering, then there's something that's really drastically wrong. Yeah. You have, uh, you're very unprepared or you're, you're soaking wet and you should probably, uh, you know, you know, seek for some assistance. Okay, perfect. So, um, another thing you mentioned in the post that I thought was interesting. So talking about kind of climbing, so our, our, uh, elevation gained. And I think you mentioned every, uh, 500 feet, there would be a two degree drop in temperature. Is that something along those lines? Right. Yep. Okay. So uh, that's another thing where you might check the weather and it might not seem that bad um, at, at the start of the race, but depending on the climb, that's something else to be prepared for. And plus there might be more wind or, you know, weather might turn and we have some rain or snow. Yeah, totally. That I mean, that's why you, you really have to be prepared because what it's like at the bottom of of the mountain is going to be drastically different compared to what it is at the top of the mountain. So if there's a 2000 foot climb, just a elevation gain alone is going to be a drop in temperature. And now usually as you go up higher in elevation, there's less trees too. So now you're exposed to the wind. So now it's colder and there's that, that wind exposure. So you get the wind chill effect as well. Um, and yeah, so you could be quite comfortable down at at the at the base lodge in in a t-shirt and shorts, and then you get up two thousand feet, and it's cold. Yeah, and a lot of times when you check that weather, you know, maybe on your phone or something like that, it, it might not show you the wind chill factor. So, um, you know, it might say it say it's sixty or mid sixties, or seems pretty mild and pleasant. But with that wind chill, as you get up that incline, it might might be a little bit uh, cooler. 
Yeah, exactly. And usually when it, when you check your phone and you check in the, the weather, it gives it for like the town, doesn't necessarily give the weather for the top of the mountain. So, yeah, yeah so it could say it's 68, but it, on top of the mountain, it might be actually 58. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. So let's let's be preventative. So if, if this is a, a real threat to our, you know, I don't want to say survival, but maybe at least just your performance where maybe you just want to finish and, you know, preparing for something like that will ensure that you can make it through the race or just to have your best performance. What would be kind of your top tips to to avoid or prevent uh, hypothermia or anything near that that type of condition from setting in? Yeah, I would. I mean, number one, be prepared. So carry um or, or dress, dress in layers, right? So have uh, a layer. Usually, like I wear, like a if I'm doing something in the mountains, I'll wear a base layer of something like a thin wool shirt. And I, I wear wool a lot. I wear wool socks. I wear wool shirts. And and people like question. They're like, oh my god, that must be so itchy. But <laughs> wool now is actually quite comfortable. But it's the best material for like. It, even when it gets wet, it still maintains its insulative properties. So if I go into the water and it gets soaking wet, I come out of it, it still helps maintain some of that insulation better than polypropylene will. Okay. Uh, and then it also dries pretty quickly. So after I'm out of the water, you know, even though I'm wet, you know, if I can keep moving and I'm exposed to some sunlight, eventually it'll dry out. Mm-hmm. So I wear a base layer. Um, depending on how cold it is at the, at the start, uh, I might actually put like an insulative layer on. So that would be like a, a kind of a lightweight thermal fleece type of uh, shirt. Okay. Uh, and then on top of that will be like a shell. And the shell, the main role of the shell is to, to break the wind, to keep the wind off of me. And if I know it's going to be wet or there's a potential threat of of rain that i'll make sure that that shell is 100 percent waterproof so um so at a minimum i think you know so people are like oh my god all that clothing it's like you know where am i going to put it you know it, it you know it's inconvenient no doubt but when you're on top of the mountain and you're soaking wet and you're shivering and you're waiting for the, the paddy wagon to come pick you up and to carry you down, you'll be, you'll wish that you had that fleece and you had that, that other jacket with you. So, um, yeah, so people need to be prepared, right? At a minimum, you know, what they should do is, is get, um, you know, you don't have to have a fancy Gore-Tex jacket. In fact, I, I wouldn't wear my Gore-Tex jacket to a race like this because I'm pretty certain it would get torn to shreds in the in the barbed wire. But <laughs> I would bring with me like either like a trash bag, you know, just a, like a heavy-duty trash bag that you could, you know, rip a hole in the in the bottom of it and put your head through it, cut a couple armholes in it, and there you have like your windproof, waterproof kind of jacket. Um, you can go into a hardware store, any outdoor um, equipment store as well, and they sell like disposable rain ponchos, and those work pretty good too. You know, okay. it just it's uh, it's they're windproof, they're plastic. You know, they'll keep the you know they keep the wind off of you, and actually they help to insulate too. So, um, you know, carry one of those in case of a, an emergency, or even. They just have those emergency blankets, you know, those at the end of a marathon, they give mm-hmm. out those silver line 
blankets, right? Yeah, Carry yeah. one of those that you can wrap around you in case you start to get, you know, really cold. Gotcha. Um, so with with water, since you mentioned that, so yeah, some some clothes will definitely dry faster. What are your thoughts on like an extra pair of clothes if, if it's something that you could realistically run with, but just having a something, at least like a shirt or, or something you can change into or socks? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're doing something like the Ultra Beast, I would like put extra clothes in the in the storage bin that you mm-hmm. get you get to have access to for sure. Um, I think carrying extra clothes now it might be, I mean, unless you're wearing a big backpack, that's it might become that might be too inconvenient, right? Mm-hmm. So as long as you're wearing clothes that like are wicking and can dry quickly, I think that would be. A good option. Um, if you if you if you're really worried about it, extra clothes in the backpack would be okay. Put it in a dry sack or something that's going to be waterproof, just mm-hmm. like your plain old Ziploc bag might work. But I yeah. would double I would double it up to make sure that you know it doesn't come <laughs> undone. And, and when you're going through the water, and then you find out that now now your second shirt is wet as well. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like those old. Uh... Ziploc commercials with the spaghetti sauce over the couch and making sure yeah. it's sealed. <laughs> um, exactly. So you mentioned earlier, so like kind of the first things that start to happen are those hands and feet. You know, the blood's trying to revert to the organs to keep, you know, keep you from, from getting into hypothermia. What are your thoughts on if you, maybe if you're wearing gloves or in your pockets having like a hand warmer, like those little packs? So I, I haven't been on the East Coast in a long time. I'm in Southern California now. So uh, I kind of forgot what cold is like. So I'm just trying to think of all the things I used to go through, like when skiing and stuff like that. Yeah, so the hand warmers work work well when it's dry, but as soon as they get wet, they don't work as well. So um, again, I would I would throw some in the pack, and like if if you get into that situation where your hands are just so cold that they're not working well, and and take a minute to put those in your gloves and let them warm up your hands or even just to put them in the palm of your hand and kind of roll them around a little bit so you get some dexterity back uh something like that might work yeah because you know i was just thinking when um let's see i ran the at the fenway uh stadium last year and you know it was cold especially for me coming from san diego and like getting to the hoist it was not necessarily heavy, but my harm, I, it was like I couldn't feel my fingers really holding the rope, making it that much harder. But, you know, if I just had something, I could kind of put my hands in my pocket, warm them up real quick, and maybe just have an easier time with some of those grip-type challenges. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and, and if you don't have those, then, like, you know, putting your hands under your armpits or between mm-hmm. your legs, stuff like that will work, too. Perfect, perfect. Um, so what about, uh, again, just trying to be preventative, is is there anything you can throw in your training routine to help your body acclimate to the cold like this? Or is that kind of pushing the envelope too much? No, I mean, you can adapt to a certain extent to the, to the cold. I mean, one of the, one of the things that might improve is called your non-shivering thermogenesis. So you have, you have white fat and you have brown fat and, you know, brown fat is more metabolically active so it actually wastes energy to produce heat um so 
Uh, there's some evidence to suggest that if, if with repeated exposure to the cold that you can increase your amount of, of brown fat. So when your body temperature starts to drop, instead of your, your one of the first reactions to be to start shivering, it'll activate the brown fat and start producing you know, wasting energy and producing the heat that way. Um, problem is it takes a lot of exposure and, and, and quite a bit of time for, for something like that to happen. Like some of the research, um, you know, that I've seen is suggest that like you need to be exposed to like even like 60 degree temperatures for, you know, six to eight hours in order for those adaptations to take place. Um, and then, and they've done some studies with with soldiers in that they've done it with more extreme temperatures, um, but again over like a long period of time, not like months that we're talking about. So the best bet is to number one get like most people probably aren't going to get necessarily to that hypothermic condition, but they're going to be uncomfortable because it's cold, and they might they might be shivering a little bit and be uncomfortable because of that. And then just with that uncomfortableness, you know, decide to drop out because they think it's worse than it is. Mm -hmm. So the first thing should be just like getting comfortable with being a little bit cold. Okay. Right. So, so even doing things like taking a cold shower, right. Stuff mm -hmm. like, like yeah. little exposures like that can help you be, get, comfortable with being with being cold even though it might not make you adapted to the cold i think that would be a good place to start for most people perfect yeah and then that you know even if it is a more of a psychological adaptation where you're just okay with that shock of cold water hitting you you know in the morning for your shower may not uh, increase brown fat but it at least will get you more comfortable when you're exposed to not so nice temperatures during that that run exactly okay perfect um, any other things I'm missing with it just being uh, preventative about this or just kind of, it, it sounds like basically being, being prepared for the worst and hopefully you don't even need this stuff and you're just carrying a little extra in your bag. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that, I mean, that's what's going to happen is most people are going to be like, oh, I don't want to carry that extra weight in my backpack. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to make my backpack bulky. It's, you know, it's going to get in the way and they're going to try to cut corners and then they're going to regret it. So, yeah. um, you know, one of the things I do, um, as part of my training is I always train with my backpack on. So if I'm going out for a run, whether it's for a three mile run or whether it's for a 25 mile run, I put on my, my backpack and I load it up with stuff that I will have during the race, even though, you know, I'm not going to drink two liters of water on this three mile run. Mm -hmm. I'm carrying it because I want to be used to it. Yeah. Right. And so if people haven't been wearing their backpacks with a lot of, stuff in it and they're used to it being light and then all of a sudden they load it up it's all that's when it feels uncomfortable and it feels unnatural and that's when they get the unusual chafing but if you wear it all the time and you get to the race it's just like it's second nature it just feels like it's part of you it's not a big deal perfect yeah yeah so then if you have a couple extra things in there it's you're used to it anyway so it's not not a problem but like you said there are a lot of small things like the garbage bag or um, other things that aren't going to take up a ton of room, but we'll, you'll be thankful for that you have something like that. Yeah, totally. Perfect. At minimum, should be throwing a trash bag in, in that backpack. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, 
Before I let you go, I, I haven't asked this to our guests in a while, but I, I'm just really curious. Um, what is your favorite obstacle? You know, I I like the the mountain. I, you know, people <laughs> most people say, well, it'd be like the 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 monkey bars, the you know the hoist, whatever. But my favorite obstacle is the mountain. I love you know the big climbs. The bigger the climb, the longer the climb the better it is for me. And then likewise, the descents, you know, I love Mm -hmm. running down the descents, the steeper it is, the more uh, sketchy it is, the more uh, scree that's on it, the better it is for me. So um, the favorite, my favorite part is, is being outdoors, being on the mountain and just uh, being in nature. So yeah, mountains, my favorite. Cool. Yeah. And, and you know, the terrain is something that a lot of people don't, don't really think it's something you need to train for but but that hill climb and the descent you can you can really make up some good time if, if you get good at those things so it, it is an obstacle that mountain it's not just the, yeah the rig and the bars and all that fun stuff so uh so then i have to ask what would be your least favorite um a- anything that involves um like overhead climbing so like the the monkey bars the mm-hmm. rig uh all of, you know the now the twister, right? I yeah. hate those. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're alone there. Yeah, those they're, they're getting harder and harder, but but definitely fun stuff. Um, uh, well, awesome. I, I can talk to you for a long time, and I think we've even touched on things that I'm already thinking of some more ideas for maybe future podcasts to get you back on here. But uh, I do want to appreciate the time, and I know there's a ton of info in this uh, interview that a, a lot of our listeners are going to be able to use hopefully for this weekend in Tahoe or, or even uh, later down uh, later in the year for some of the uh, colder races that we're going to see. So thank you so much. No, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate being in here. All right. Awesome. So we'll, we'll definitely see you soon. That's going to do it for episode 41 of the OCR Underground Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys got some great insight and things that are going to help you prep for your next race. Uh, Big thanks to our guest, uh, Coach John Haley and Dr. Jeff Godin, for giving some of their insights and uh, really giving you some great tips to help you prep for your next race. Uh, Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.ocrunderground.com slash episode-41 to learn more about our guests and any links mentioned in the show. And you can also check out our show sponsors, uh, Designer Protein, for all of your protein needs at designerprotein.com and Mobilitas for uh, some awesome, high-quality, durable mobility tools at yourjointsshouldn'thurt.com. That's it for now. If you guys need any more help with your Spartan Race training, don't forget to go over to the website, ocrunderground.com, and uh, sign up for our four-part series to help you prep for your next race. Uh, But that's it. This is Mike Diebler, and I will catch you guys next time.